In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Um, Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful this morning for the opportunity to share our faith, uh, for the gift of our faith, for the gift of our church, the gift of the sacraments, the gift of every family in your church, all of the domestic churches, all of our priests, deacons, and religious. I just want to ask your blessing on this conversation, Lord, and let it be according to your will. Lord, if there's any inspirations on our heart and mind that are not according to your will, I ask you, Lord, to please take those away. Um, help us to surrender those to you so that we can be faithful to you, uh, faithful to your will, and faithful to the mission of your son. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this ministry here, uh, this Connected podcast. Um, and just ask that you continue to bless and flourish it according to your will, that it may serve those who you intended to serve. And we ask all these things through the name, um, through the intercession of our mother, Mary, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, mother of God pray for us sinners, now, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's begin. I'm excited. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind, drown out the noise, and see if this connected. See if this connected. The mission of this connected podcast is to connect generations and situations about faith, life, and whatever comes along the way. To not necessarily agree, but be listened to. These conversations, of course, share the different perspectives of me and my guest. You, of course, are always welcome to agree or even disagree. But as always, we hope that it is done in charity. I'm Catholic.Dad, the host, and welcome to This Connected. And I'm so excited today to have a person that I met like two and a half years ago. I have Sister Josephine Garrett from where? <laughs> Uh, Tyler, Texas. Tyler? I'm a Texan. I'm from Texas. So. Texas. <laughs> Actually, I told my wife, I was teasing my wife. I said, we're going to move to Texas. It's like, <laughs> I've met some nice people over there. But we got a lot of people moving to Texas right now. Right? Yeah. By the time we retire and move to Texas, it's just going to be California. So we're just going to have to look for another state. That's it. I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, uh, sister, you know, this podcast is just, as I said, it's a conversation. And I I really, that's why I have my coffee. Hopefully you have something to drink. Um, um, Non-caffeinated. I I lie. I'm Catholic. It has to be caffeinated. Um, But it's a conversation. Our listeners are mainly youth, uh, high school, middle school, young adults, um, and old people. Okay. So every, like us. Like us. And, and you know, um, I don't know why I'm still doing this. I'm I'm a little too old. And on this podcast, actually, I'm I, I have it live on Instagram so I can get some um input and some questions. So we might have some questions that I didn't write down. But okay. first of all, um tell us about yourself because 
I met you in Florida. I didn't meet you. I, I listened to you, and um, knowing me, it's hard to keep me quiet and shut up. And <laughs> the guy next to me was like, "Wow, you didn't say a word." It's like <laughs> she was like preaching. <laughs> so, um, so tell us about yourself, and then we can have a little bit more conversation. Sure. I am, uh, like I said, I'm a native Texan. I grew up Baptist. And I attended University of Dallas, which is a Catholic university. But when I enrolled, I didn't know that it was Catholic, uh, but obviously really loved it there. Um, I started loving the church more after spending a semester in Rome. Uh, Really loved Pope St. John Paul II. Um, I just thought he was a phenomenal preacher. And um, I graduated from UD and... After a couple of years of working in banking, I decided that I wanted to just be better about being a woman of God. Mm -hmm. And that ended up drawing me back to the mass. And so I became Catholic in 2005. Um, In 2009, I started discerning with my community. In 2011, I became a candidate. Um, And then when I entered the novitiate in 2013, I ended a career in banking that had been a 10-year career in banking um, and went to the novitiate. Um, and then just last November, November of 2020, I made my final vows uh, as a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth. So my community, we serve families and just try to renew a family spirit in the world. And we do that in a ton of different ministries, huge variety of ministries. So. Wow. So yeah. the reason why I had to show the picture was, you know, I I am completely honest and and uh, with with the things that I say. And sometimes my daughter said, "Dad, um, you know, um, you need to really hold your tongue." It's like I am a child of God, and sometimes I just speak the way it is. It's, it's like that's what I feel. And the reason why I showed is, Sister Josephine, you're black. Yes. Yeah, my daughter's probably said, I can't believe he said that. I said, but that's, that's, yes. And the reason why I say that is growing up in Southern California all my life mm-hmm. and then being an immigrant in the Philippines, mm-hmm. seeing a black Catholic is pretty rare. A black American Catholic. A black American can be Catholic. Rare. I was, I was yeah. going to say that because yeah, every be single rare. black Catholic that I've met is either from Africa native to the African continent. Right. Um, and it's it's very rare. And yeah, so, especially in like most parts of the country. I think if you were to go to Louisiana, it'd be less rare. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in Texas, it's rare. <laughs> it's then, definitely rare. And then I went to, you know, I got the opportunity to go to uh, NCC um, um, National Catholic Conference for Youth Ministers in Florida. And that's where I met you. Or yes. watched you, um, and I was like, "Oh wow!" And then Father Josh, I'm like, "Oh wow!" I'm like, I'm like, "There's a lot of Black American Catholics," and that's what got me. And I always knew it. Um, really looking into the fact that wow, there are because all my experiences in my life, and and I have to be honest, the person who got me into the faith got me into our faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is a Baptist black woman. Miss mm-hmm. Claudia Cooper, if you're ever going to listen to this, and if you ever come on this podcast, which I've been asking her, I think she's 80 now, 
Mm. Her scripture text, and, and grant you, the scripture she used to text me since 1995 on a flip phone. <laughs> scripture. That's love. Psalms. Takes a lot. Yeah. It, and I was like, <laughs> wow. You know? And she taught me to love my faith. And um, mm-hmm. the reason was like, oh, she looks just like Miss Claudia. Um, um, she's from Illinois, and now this comes of a Miss Claudia tribute, mm-hmm. but this is your show. But <laughs> you came on in Florida, and you can't, you cracked me up because you came on after a dog named Oprah. Uh, oh, yes, I remember that. Oh my god! <laughs> and it, it just cracked. I me. was like, did that woman name her daughter? <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah, and I think. Um, Yes, it's coming back to me now because there were so many things that had occurred at that conference that were just out of a Saturday Night Live skit. And um, and so I was like, there was at one point where there was a game going on on the stage and then there was like a dog who had a doll in their mouth and the dog was named Oprah and they were doing a laundry folding contest or something. And I was like, this has all been like a bizarre, yeah, just like a super good <laughs> experience that only could be born amongst a few thousand youth ministers <laughs> it, w- it was pretty hilarious because the reason why i went there was um to learn a little bit more about um ministry to our hispanic community and i come from san Bernardino, which is predominantly hispanic and i arrive right. in florida hoping to find people to to talk to about working with hispanic communities and i was it I was the one who they went to. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. I know a little bit more about this than you do. So, wow. So I get yeah. it. But I did meet so many wonderful people there. But what what touched me was your story, was, was your vocation story. Now, I want to ask you, and you've already answered my first question. Thanks a lot. It says, did you grow up Catholic? But that was what touched me was Mm -hmm. that most people that we talk to, who we say discern, we approach young people to discern into a vocation, a religious vocation. You were a vice president of, you know, a bank. And is that giving all that up? How did you, you know, tell us your vocation story of how you got to that Point. I mean, you went to a Catholic mm-hmm. university and, you know, I'm thinking, oh, she went to a Catholic university. She graduated and became a nun. And became no. a religious sister. Oh, it was no. like, no. No, no, no. There's, no, a, no, there's yeah. a gap there. And can you share with us the, the, the things with, even with the, your story with your mom? I mean, that, that touched me. I think I, I think I teared on that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I... So there's a couple parts with my mom. So so that your listeners know when you're referring to my mom, he's referring to my birth mom, because when I was eight years old, I was adopted by my aunt and uncle. Um, I'm actually in Houston now. So here in Houston and all my family still lives in Houston. And so when I started discerning, like from 2009 to 2011, um, I mean, this is the case, at least I would hope it would be the case for any kind of discernment where we like pause and look over our life. And my father is not living, but my birth mom mom 
is still living. And so the question became like, do I, do I try to find her and do I, you know, connect with her? And my um, vocations director challenged me to connect with her. And she said, I think that you need to, um, she said, I think that it would be important for you to let her know that you forgive her for not raising you or not finishing raising you. And I looked at her and I was like, it doesn't make sense to offer forgiveness to someone who didn't ask for it. And I thought, you know, and she said, but do you forgive your mother? And I said, I do. Of course I do. I was an adult and had come to understand so much more of the situation that she was in. And so she says, well, I think you should go to her. And I was like, I just don't feel like that's necessary. (laughs) So it took me like six weeks to process that with the therapist. Um, And then, and I decided I was going to go to her, but in that six weeks, I had become really puffed up. Like, you know, you know, and uh, I think people in ministry need to hear this. Like, sometimes we think, you know, we're saving the world. <laughs> you know, it's my ministry, and I'm doing all the things, you know, like dusting our shoulders off. Um, so I was going to my mother dusting my shoulders off. Like, I'm going to bring the sacred heart of Jesus to her and his forgiveness. <laughs> and so when the days kind of leading up to our meeting uh by the goodness of god like he brought me back down to my identity as a daughter um and so there were just a series of things that happened over those days that i just could not have ever imagined what happened uh, just other reconciliations in my family um that i would probably get into in a podcast that i needed in my daughter's heart I guess is the way that I would say it so by the time I sat down in front of her I'd been through a lot emotionally in a few days leading up to sitting down in front of her but when I sat down in front of her I arrived there as a daughter uh, which was could have ever only been the appropriate way and we just had this wonderful meeting and we stay in touch today it's not like a hallmark movie I think sometimes people want it to be the hallmark movie where we meet in the field of wildflowers right and it's Texas with so deep blue bonnets and we run to each other it's it wasn't that we met at a mall at a food court and had the most profound conversation in the mall of a food court right because this is how God works um, like breaking through extraordinarily in these ordinary spaces um, we stayed in touch she was at my first vows. She flew to Chicago for my first vows. Um, I've been to her home. And um, I think I probably shared this in Florida. When I went to her home after my first vows, she said to me, we were sitting across from each other. And she said, I've just been really wanting to learn more about what you're doing and your faith. So I've been reading this book to kind of help me. And I was like, what book? And she reached in the pocket of her recliner and pulled out the catechism of the Catholic Church. <laughs> and it was like highlighted up. It had post-it notes in it. Um, so that's the story about my mom. Like I said, it's not a Hallmark movie. And I stress that to people in a similar situation, like adopted, you know, children, people who are adopted and trying to figure out how to relate to birth parents, it can be not so clear and clean all the time. And I think we're under pressure sometimes for it to be like a Hallmark movie. So I say that just to kind of um, help others in that situation know that it's okay for that to be kind of messy. Um, And as far as my vocations are like how I arrived in that relationship with that vocation director really was born in going back to Rome after four years of being Catholic. 
And so I went there and had a really um, life-changing confession. And this is for all you priests out there who think you need to say all the things in confession. That life-changing confession, that priest only said two words to me. He said, just begin. And he changed my life. So for y'all out there (laughs) thinking you need to give the homily and the confessional, it's probably not the case. Um, so he told me just begin. I was confessing all the things that I knew I was called to do and wasn't even taking one step toward. Um, I came back from that trip. I got a spiritual director. He helped me learn how to pray. And then one day before the Blessed Sacrament in prayer, um, I thought it would be so cool to be a sister and serve the church. And from that moment on, I couldn't stop thinking about this thought. And so eventually um, I had a friend help me get the courage to visit the sisters. And that the first convent I visited is where I ended up entering. Like I wasn't one of those, I got to shop the internet. Like I think sometimes we make that mistake and think that God is hiding from us. Um, but usually the, it's we're hiding from God. Uh, <laughs> it's usually the case. And so, yeah, that's it. That's kind of. Wow. And, and you know what you answered? You answered my question. My second question was, what advice would you give to someone who would go through the same thing that you went through? I, I always had this question, though, because um, every person has different. How early do you think that we should be talking to um, kids, uh, youth, about vocation? You know, I mean, how early should we be speaking to them about it? I think it's not ever too early. Like, I think our kids need to have an understanding as early as they can, like, talk of that there's moms and there's dads and there's sisters and there's brothers and there's priests. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you really look at, like, how secular culture forms our kids, because don't ever be mistaken thinking there's a randomness to secular culture. There's a great intelligence to secular culture and it's forming our children. Mm -hmm. And so I've got four-year-olds who know yoga poses, right? So if a four-year-old can know a yoga pose, they can know that an option for your life is to Mm -hmm. be a sister or a friend, right? So it's just never too early. I always tell this story of of my my grandfather's brother, Grandpa David. Um, Mm -hmm. He was a single man. And our little village in the Philippines is filled with lawyers, teachers, doctors, and nurses. Mm -hmm. And when you ask every single one of those persons, why did you become a nurse, a doctor, a teacher, or a lawyer, or an architect? And he said, well, since I was a kid, that's what Grandpa David said I should be. Yeah. And, and he instilled in them, because this is what he said when I asked him before he passed in 1987. I said, what, why would you tell them that? He said, I could see it in them. Mm-hmm. And he instilled in them that you would make a great teacher. And they believed it. I mean, who, who wouldn't believe <laughs> Grandpa David? I mean, he was like the wise man. He was like, you, know, <laughs> you go to him for a dollar and a word of advice. Yeah. But sometimes we just, I think now we have almost kind of like too many choices. I think sometimes families, I think sometimes adults are um, shy or hesitant to have that kind of authority in their kids' lives. But there's a, especially to parents, there is a mysticism to parenting. And there's an authority given to you as parents 
particularly as the domestic church. And it's an authority that has a likeness to the magisterium, like a kind of a, like a parallel, not sameness, but a likeness. And um, it, it gets so important to like, take that authority (laughs) and really live it like you know while also continuing to grow in our own faith as adults so that we can live that authority more fully but yeah now we have so many choices we hesitate to live out the authority that God has entrusted to us you know there's websites upon websites to look at options for orders instead of seeing that God has placed a couple of really great orders probably right in front of you and that stuff's probably not coincidence, <laughs> you know? And so, um, and, yeah, and, like, yeah. And, and it's almost it's almost like um, a lot of times when I, I talk to parents, even youth, uh, it's, it's almost like we're trying to talk them out of a religious vocation. And say, well, it's like the 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 response is when someone when when some kid who's in the fifth grade says, "I want to be a priest." The answer is, "Oh, you're too young. Wait until you're college." Oh, I'm, by the time he's in college, he's yeah, the last thing he's want to be thinking of. Or they're in high mm-hmm. school, and a young man says, "I want to be a priest," and people's response is, "Really?" Right. Instead of "Really?" Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Whoa, really? Oh, awesome! And then there's yeah. the then there's the overboard um, people who want someone in their parish to become a priest, and, and all of a sudden they go overboard and says, "Oh, well, you got to go to this retreat. You have to right. do this, and so, let's get you sponsored." And I was like, "Oh, now you're scaring the kid." Now you're saying that it's too much. It's oh, not too much, but it's um, natural, yeah. yeah. But what's what's what would be your advice to to a community, my community? This is how do you increase vocation? Mm-hmm. Well, see, it's interesting. When you say your community, do you mean your parish or your ethnic community as a Filipino? Uh, well, um, my parish. Parish, okay. I, again, I think it's to really, in a sense, like these vocations, like when you start to talk about priesthood, religious life, brother, they are, there is an exceptionalness to them in the sense that they are not what the majority does. And so I think because it's not a part of the majority, it can sometimes feel too far of an outlier for our youth. And like, so to to try to draw these vocations in from the outlier, you know, and just like have, have all these different people live in these different vocations right at the table with you. So don't sit them up high to where it feels like they're out of people's reach, right? Because who I was, if if sisters was only for people like way up here who had all this kind of perfect piety, I would not have this veil. <laughs> like I, I just I would fail all them tests. And so just to bring everyone to the table and have this language of these are all the ways to be a body of Christ. So I guess the sense like normalizing these vocations, but saying to our, our youth, like you've got to show up at the table in the body of Christ and in a vocation. Like, you know, you've got to, you've got to do that. We've got to make that choice. We've got to listen and discern like how God is calling us to show up at the table as a husband, as a wife, as a sister, as a brother, as a priest. Um, but it's all our table and we all come here and we're in this together. So I guess the main thing is to stop setting these vocations apart. And I think that would help a lot with pathology. Um, I think some of the reasons that we've had, some of the difficulties we've had 
among clergy and like clericalism and things like that is because we have failed to view it as a table. Yeah. Um, and so there's definitely an order to things and there's a proper hierarchy, but it's, it's still this concept of at the table. And so I think that might help. And even giving them a seat at that table to be able to say, hey, you know what, I am interested. And people are, are affirming that, that, yeah. that, is, that that is something that is a viable thing for you. And we're here yeah. to support you, but we're not here to force you because uh, no. you know, as a child, I was forced and uh, ran away all the way to the yeah. Philippines. But I got to ask this question because youth minister Tony uh, said this question. I think he would kill me if I never uh, solicited questions and he I never asked it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that wasn't it. There was a, a really cool one. Um, I suppose. Yeah. It, it was something about are you allowed to? So um, as I, I as I fumble through all these questions, um, here it is, I think. Ah. Oh, here it is. I guess. Are there <laughs> things sisters aren't allowed to do, like watch certain movies or say certain words or dress a certain way, etc.? allowed to I mean there are some communities where they make it simple for you like that and they hand you a list and it's like this is what you can wear this is how you can speak there are communities out there that do that um in our community there are ways that it is common sense that you should not dress (laughs) as a spouse of Jesus Christ right and like I remember once I'll just tell a story to help help understand how this is handled in the sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. And so each community could really only answer this for themselves because each community has like constitutions. And so constitutions are rules that govern these types of things, right? And my, here's a story to kind of describe how it works for us. (laughs) Okay. I had gotten once, and again, I went to college and was in high school and a public high school. So there are all kinds of people that I am friends with in the past and I'm still friends with, and we're not all of the exact same mind, right? So I've got a huge diversity of friends. And so I got an invitation once to a bachelorette party while I was a postulant. And I read it and was like, oh, I probably can't go to that, but I will call my friend and find like another time we can get together and celebrate her upcoming sacrament, right? So the invitation was sitting out on my desk and my formation director came in my room. It was my office, came in my office and she picked it up and it said, wear your best devil costume to the back. (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, are you going to this? And I said, well, I had not planned on it because I don't have a devil costume. So there wouldn't really be a place for me there. And so she looked at me and she said, how are, how do you decide whether or not you can go somewhere or wear something? You know, now that you're a postulant, which is very early formation as a sister. So she was saying, like, what are you using to kind of discern that for yourself? Where should you go? What should you wear? What sh- where should you not go? What should you not wear? And I was like, I don't know, I told her the truth. I said, I just know in my gut that as a postulant of the Sisters of the Holy Family Nazareth, that wouldn't be an appropriate place for me. And so she looked at me and she said, you don't wear this habit yet. 
She said, but once you have it, let it help you with your discernment. So if you are not comfortable being seen there in your habit, then you need to ask yourself, should you be there? Right? You need to ask yourself, should you be there? And this isn't like, you know, I'm on vacation. So I've, you know, I've got on jeans or whatever. I'm with my family. This is like, I'm purposefully hiding myself um, because there's something not quite right here that for my vocation. And so in our community, we're really encouraged to have that level of maturity where instead of getting a list, right? Like you're not going to work out in the Fabletics because nuns don't wear <laughs> Fabletics, right? <laughs> We can't do that. Um, instead of getting a list, it's more so like an ongoing discernment on like what really matches who you are. Um, so that's how we handle that. So no, I mean, if that's a young person asking that question, no, I don't work out in tights because that's not appropriate for nuns. Um, I try to say nice things, but I'm not perfect. So if bad things come out of my mouth, I go confess them. Um, and there are some places where I know I would never go in my habit. And so I don't go at all, whether I have my habit on or not. So Exactly. Yeah, I, I love what you said is, would this be appropriate for the bride of, <laughs> of our Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> to be gallivanting around wearing this outfit or going to this event or speaking like this? And it's like, oh, <laughs> look, that's, that's Jesus' wife. <laughs> right. What does that say about Jesus? Right? <laughs> But I think sometimes we, we would like to make it more complicated than it is yeah. to help us provide lines that we probably need to get off of. Yeah. Holy common sense. That's what we call yes. it. Holy yeah. common sense. And also, yeah. Catholic.dad does not wear tights while working out because it just looks like there's two pigs in there fighting uh, amongst each other. So that's what youth ministry did. He's let these two giblets inside and now they're always arguing. Uh, we're gonna get back to skinny days i I promise you that hopefully one day sooner than later Um, we're not gonna ask that tony Um, (laughs) but i i asked you to come on this podcast because um you posted because i stalk you uh ever since uh 2000 and uh, the the time that we met in 2018 by the way did you do you know that i won the the prize to be able to go to the National Catholic Conference for Youth Ministers that was supposed to be in Louisiana in yes. November of 2020. I won that. that wow. Was, yeah, darn COVID canceled all that. COVID canceled that. Are they having it this time, though? I don't know, but I'm still waiting for my email that says, hey, you know, we're going to honor that. And we're still going to give it to you for free. <laughs> It's the see what had happened was email. Because I know like one year they do NCYC and the other year they do NCCYM. So I don't know. So this year we're technically on the NCYC year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I, I said, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to get it. So constantly go and check in my email. It's like. Refresh, refresh, did, refresh. Did, did I, did I get like, so shout out and call out to um, NCCYM. <laughs> do I still get my freebie trip? <laughs> I think you probably would. I, yeah. I, was, I know those guys a little bit. I think they'd probably honor it. <laughs> I, I was really looking forward to going to Louisiana and seeing Father Josh's uh, parish because uh, I think I think he needs to write a book on how to actually form parishes like that. Uh, mm. Because and, and you know I'm gonna say throw it out, Father Josh. You need to put something out there on YouTube on it's like on DIY parish community. <laughs> 
<laughs> building a functional parish yes. is seven steps. And I, prayer, 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 prayer. <laughs> and, 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 and additional duties as. <laughs> I love this conversation. But both you and Father Josh are on this um, book. And um, this is like a book perfect for youth ministers. Because it's short, because we don't have much time. Um, (laughs) Literally went through this book in one sitting Mm. in between grading papers (laughs) and setting up a podcast and couldn't put it down. Mm -hmm. I I am a history buff. I love history. And so The Lives of the Saints is just one big, giant history book. You Mm. learn so much of you know, it's like scripture, you know, placing things that happen in those events. So this book, Black Catholics on the Road to Sainthood, if you haven't purchased this book, if you haven't read it, if you haven't borrowed it from your youth minister, if you're a youth minister who does not have this book, I said, what's wrong with you? Go purchase it, OSV. Um, and by the way, we, we are not, you know, they didn't send us this book. It's like, we purchase <laughs> ourselves. It's it's nine ninety five, not including shipping. So buy a few so you don't have to pay double shipping, just saying. But amazing book, amazing book. Beautiful. Short, sweet, to the point, easy to give clear. to you to read, clear. clear. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no minutia in it. It's just to the point. And what I loved about this book, sister, is that it pointed you to look for more. Yes. Um, We bought them for our whole staff at our school. And that was the consistent feedback that I got was when someone would finish a story, they would start Googling the same. Like, well, wait, I need more. I didn't know more. I didn't know what had happened, whatever. Like, (laughs) they immediately. And so, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know if the editor, Michael Heinlein, had that in mind, you know, to leave. Um, to leave people to with seeking, mm-hmm. with the indication to seek, um, or if that was just kind of born in the spirit and the providence of God, because that's how we grow to love the saints. Is like we want to seek out their stories and like know more about them. And so that you are correct. Yeah. That is one of the consistent responses to that book. Is like I, I need to know more. Yep. <laughs> I need this, to know more. Yeah. This is like the Netflix. Of little books, it's like, oh, okay, let me go read to the next episode, and then you're ending yeah. to the next episode. Where's the series? It's like, yeah, where's yeah. series number two? And so you find yeah. yourself going on YouTube, watching every single thing, um, and then looking for more, uh, which is very much a great thing. This is also one of the things that I do with when I did ministry is I would send links to the youth of like really holy links, and, and make them watch it. Because then what happens to their feed is they get fed with more of this stuff. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. a trick of the trade. <laughs> what, one youth once said, it's like, how come I'm only getting like this stuff? I mean, it's like, I'm like getting multiple information on religion. And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and meanwhile, you're like, Dr. Dr. Youth Minister Evil. <laughs> what else can I send? <laughs> That's a really good point. I want to start doing that to the kids. <laughs> it's like, hey, click on this link and watch it and tell me what you think. And, mm-hmm. Hey, watch this one. And they're like, all of a sudden it's like, wow, like my entire feed, that's all I'm getting. 
<laughs> That's good. Brilliant idea. So how did you how did you get involved with uh, writing this book? Because you did write this part, and I really want to. Um, well, I gotta make sure my time is on. Um, I really want you to focus on what you wrote, and because your section of the book is on servant of God Julia Greeley. Never knew about servant of God Julia Greeley. Never yeah. knew about a lot of the 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 black Catholics that are in this book. I mean, I just have to mention, you know, Venerable Pierre Toussaint, by the way, amazing, amazing life. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about his life was amazing. Uh, you know, Henrietta, uh, I still don't know how to say her last name, Palil, Palilia, Palil, I, I don't know. How do you say her last name? <laughs> It, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah. and then and then the life of Father Augustus told Augustus, yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I, yeah. being Filipino, that resonated because you know up till the eighteen nineties, Filipinos couldn't be priests. You know, it, it's the same thing. Um, yeah. You're just forbidden, and that's the whole reason why there's a Filipino called a Glipi Church, which separated from the Catholic Church because, well, why can't we be pastors of our own parish? Um, mm-hmm. And then and then the other ones who are on here is a Servant of God, Mary Lang, Julia Greeley, uh, Servant of God, Thea Bowman. Uh, and I was like, wow, how come this was never taught? And so made it a point in my classes, like, hey, we got to look at this. And the same consistent things that people say is, I never knew. Yeah, I think, you know, I'll be really clear. I know sometimes, like, I think it's so, I don't know how to say I think sometimes the need to speak clearly about the lives of these saints gets mixed into what people are describing as, like, being woke and all of this, like, woke this and woke that. And... I actually want to encourage people not to collapse this into that. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't about that. It's just about asking the question that you just asked. Like, what has prevented these stories from being as well known as some of the other stories of the saints and saints in progress? And that is a tendency in our church to attend collectively to what is mainstream. And so like I try to ask people simple questions like what made it that most angel statues you see in churches across America are white, Mm -hmm. right? And we don't know that angels Mm -hmm. (laughs) are all white. So like, how did I get decided that way? And so not to make this about that and not to make, but to make this about our church and about like shooting this gap up in our church and not to make that a political endeavor and not to make that um, a purely like sociological endeavor, but to make that an endeavor about us looking more like a sincere reflection of the kingdom of God. Yes. Amen. This is what this is about. Yeah. And so these stories there, that's a gap. Um, and that, that is the other consistent response. A, like, I want to know more. And B, why didn't I know? Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that, in a sense, we safeguard that as Catholics 
from getting caught up into this into secular matters. Mm-hmm. Like we need to really be, I think, vigilant about that. Yeah, it's in in a discussion I had. Um, one young person said, "Have have." was saying that have we been complicit with this and I, I had to say that you know being complicit and being ignorant of of that and being raised in a fashion in a way is is it is what it is now let's move forward now that that's not being woke that is looking at what are we had in the past and then again in order and then making a better present and future yeah. And we don't need to borrow. I mean, I think people, that's almost like a trigger word for people now. It's literally a four letter word. And it's like a trigger word for people now. And people are either like rising up in violent defense of it, or they're like rising up in violent attack of it. And it's like, eh, you know, that's secular matter. Yeah. And, you know, I read it for my Saturday morning reading, you know, yeah. <laughs> like Saturday morning is where I do my non-spiritual reading. But it's not a priority for us, and we should not take it as our framework Mm -hmm. for building the kingdom. And so it's like what Tony, um, I almost said Tony Morrison. It's not Tony Morrison. I did a thesis on Tony Morrison in high school. It's um, um, Maya Angelou. She says, do what you can until you know better and then do better. Mm. And so something along those lines. And so we now know better and we need to do better. (laughs) We just Mm. need to do better. and so. Yeah. So, um, so tell us about you, you wrote that section on 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 servant of God Julia Greeley. You wrote some amazing things on here. Um, you know, tell us a little bit of something about um, servant of God Julia Greeley. Just a little synopsis of of what she is, because I really I, I was not triggered, but this this just spoke out to me when you wrote this. It says, it occurred to me that the heart of Jesus had to be almost pure longing, longing to restore, longing to heal sin, division, and brokenness, longing to make new, a longing to reconcile. I began to see more clearly the unceasing font that flows from his always open heart, seeking a place to be received so that the work and will of God the Father can be accomplished. I meditated on that for days. I'm like, wow, I gotta ask her, where did you draw that from? I think um because I when they wrote me about this book, I was like, I want the abomen, I want the abomen. <laughs> I was asking for Thea. And so I just think it's so good to be truthful with people. So when they wrote me back and they said, we've assigned you Julia Greeley, I didn't know who she was myself. And so I had to spend time getting to know her. And so um, I sat down and started getting to know her. Um, is the um, So she was from Denver. She lived in Denver after she was freed from being a slave. And she fell in love with the Catholic faith, particularly a devotion to the Eucharist. She would call the Eucharist her breakfast (laughs) to go to mass every day. And Jesus was her breakfast. And then she, the way they described it, it was like a one woman St. Vincent de Paul. Mm -hmm. And so she knew people in the neighborhood. Again, she's just a model of like proper diocesan ministry in my mind, in the sense that she was devoted and devoted to and focused on her local church. 
and she wasn't trying to be more than her local church. And I think like with Catholic media on the rise and, you know, speaker circuits and everything that we have, all these great resources, I just want to remind everyone that we're each entrusted to a particular local church. Mm-hmm. And I and it's so important that we prioritize that. Um, like to St. Mother Teresa said, you know, find your own Calcutta. So your local church is your Calcutta. And so she was just such, to me, such a, a model of devotion to her local church. And so she knew who needed help in the neighborhood. And she knew who needed intercessory prayer. And she knew who needed food. And she knew who needed things. And she would collect these things she would give from her poverty. And she would deliver them at night to avoid, the to reduce the experience of shame for mm-hmm. people. So she would walk at night because she was concerned for people experiencing shame, receiving, you know, because oftentimes it was white people receiving things from this black woman in a time where that was not seen as appropriate. She experienced racism through, you know, obviously the emotional wounds of racism, but also the physical wounds of racism while um, living as a slave and once no longer living as a slave um, that continued. And so I also think she's just a really, really proper model um, for how to respond to racism. And I know, I know, I'll tell people my nickname when I worked for the bank was Cujo. So I know about anger. Okay. I know about snarkiness. I know about sarcasm. I have a PhD in all of the above. Uh, (laughs) We will get along. My family's love language is sarcasm. And for you young people who don't know what Cujo is, it was a horror movie with a big black Rottweiler dog that ate and killed people. So if you've never watched a movie Cujo, that is a recommendation, not by me, but Sister Josephine, go watch Cujo. And then you'll realize it's like, oh, my goodness, that holy woman compared herself to that. Right. And so like, I, I know what it is to be like angry, frustrated, tired with not only like overt racism, but also covert racism, ongoing systemic limitations, ongoing systemic racism or like systemic withholding of key resources based on race and the structure of things. I know what it is to be like angry in the face of that. Um, and I think people like Julia Greeley really challenge us to like look at ways to really transform hearts and like convert hearts for Jesus. And so that reflection, I mean, when I looked at her life, all I could think about was the sacred heart because of her devotion to the sacred heart, um, because of her devotion to the sacred heart. And um it was kind of like God's providence because um, it was God's providence. I thought my little, my best friend's little son was coming in here and I was straight up going to introduce your listeners to him. <laughs> but um, it was God's providence because on my 30 day retreat in preparation for vows, that is where I started to just really see the sacred heart differently and see the sacred heart in this sense of like um, just pure longing, you know, just pure longing to reconcile, to restore, to bring about like the vision of the father. 
Um, and God's heart, I mean, that's what Jesus came to do, to like return and reconcile everything back to the Father. And so we know that he has this font. You know, you and I are recording this the day before Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm-hmm. We know that there's this font flowing into the world. We know that Pope St. John Paul II spoke about um, in his encyclical on the Eucharist, he spoke about everything being permeated with the blood of Christ. And so um, when I looked at her and tried to see her walking around with this wagon, you know, carrying all those wounds, emotional wounds and physical wounds that could have left her bitter and caused her to turn in. And instead, she was just like flowing, flowing, you know, flowing with this gift. And then her devotion to the Sacred Heart and then my reflection from my 30-day retreat, um, it really felt like that reflection, I don't know, it was offered to me from God and perhaps from Julia Greeley as well, you know, in a sense, like, um, because I don't know that I could have put all that together on my own. (laughs) So I think that somehow she participated in that. And I love her very much now. And I pray through her intercession often. Uh, She is growing as a friend to me. And she died on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And she experienced a lot of the, she experienced a lot of the emotional abuse that can come with racism and um, that came with slavery and that came with racism in the sense, emotional abuse in the sense that it's like a taking away of identity. And so she didn't even know her own birthday, which is a huge part of our identity. And so when I saw that she died on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, you know, I wrote in there, you know, perhaps let us consider this a birthday for her, you know, like a re uh, a reoffering to her of identity that because identity is stripped away in racism. Human dignity is stripped away in racism. And so um, that happened to her, you know, and so. Yeah, I love her. I know it's so tacky, but I have to plug in my charger. I'm sorry to do that in the middle of our recording. I want to honor your 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 time, Sister Josephine, and (laughs) um, and I really want to thank you for this. Mm -hmm. I really want to thank you for what you wrote in the book, and Mm -hmm. I think our greatest response to racism is what's written in this book and how these Black Catholics responded to that. And and the How healing, yeah, and yeah, the healing that that be, that is bestowed upon us as faithful, as the as the faithful can really learn from the lives of these saints. Um, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, You're welcome. I hope we can do this again because just have some coffee. It's like I wish we could do this live. Maybe if we do NC the uh, National Catholic Conference for Youth Ministers, we'll do one live oh. there. Oh, that'd be amazing. We'd be folding yeah. clothes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I want to say to so the last thing you just said, like about the book being like a response to racism. I think sometimes we like we have to be careful in the church because mm-hmm. like if. There's one group over here responding to something in this way. There's another group over here responding in this way. And sometimes we We, will bump up against each other. But like, again, it's a table structure. Each at the table call to respond in their own way. Um, And all of that response is about leaving the situation better than we found it. um, So that we can keep moving forward. Um, So, yeah. yeah. Not all the disciples agreed with each other. 
They had conversations right. in the presence of God. Yes. And Can it was Peter and Matthew probably couldn't stand each other. Right. <laughs> Peter, Peter, every time Matthew came in a room, I could see Peter being like, oh. There he goes again. I was like, oh, Thomas is late again. Um <laughs> We can totally have a good time. I hope that we do this again, hopefully live, hopefully wherever they're going to have the Youth Ministry Conference. I'd love to have that. Uh, Thank you, sister, very much for joining us in this podcast. I want everyone to know to get this book. Um, I also want you guys to look for Sister Josephine Garrett on YouTube. She doesn't have much on there. I'm so disappointed. I've watched it a couple of times, and it's like, (laughs) but they're really short, sweet. Some of your stuff, some of your skits are so hilarious. People, you guys got to follow her. I like to be an equal opportunity slayer of <laughs> all groups. So some of the stuff on there, her vocation stories on there uh, as well. Um, I just, I just fall in love with with your story and the story of a lot of. Um, well, if you look at my YouTube channel and my feed, it's all, it's all it's like, you know, it's almost like oh, I should have been um, somewhere around there, uh, priest. But no, that's not what I was called to. I'm just calling people to become priests and religious. So, mm-hmm. friends, um, that's all we have uh, for this episode of This Connected. As usual, we pray this connected. If it didn't, then it's Sister Josephine's fault. Um, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, send us a DM, uh, your comments, um, to catholic.dad50 at gmail.com, or you can DM us on our podcast on Instagram, um, at catholic.dad or this connected. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast on many podcast platforms. And as always, as Tony said, I have to say, support us. Go to our bio link in our Instagram and something about the about on, on YouTube. Uh, click the bell and whatever. I don't know what that go- thing goes, but do that anyways. <laughs> so as usual, uh, friends, remember, uh, live a life of holiness. We'll be mm-hmm. praying for you. Please pray for us, and most importantly, be blessed and be third. Different points of view and highs and lows, a new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind and drown with the noise. Different generations of the girls and boys. So sit back and relax. This cat, the podcast, don't overreact. If the thoughts are abstract, when it's hosted by Catholic Doc Dad, who knows what's gonna happen? Hey, what's up, fam? Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind and drown with the noise. And see if disconnected. What's up, fam? To connect generations and situations about faith, life, and whatever comes along the way. Spec runaway thoughts like a runaway train break into conversation like links of a chain. Make a Hail Mary pass, hope disconnects. Have a question for a guest, put it to rest. Live a life of holiness, lead by example. Follow at Catholic.dead and be tangled. <laughs> Christ leads our way, he's the good shepherd. Pray for one another, be blessed, and be there. Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind and drown with the noise. And see if disconnected. Thank you, sister. Thank you. I love this.
<laughs> Thank you so much. I saw the door opening and I was like, there's about to be a three-year-old in here. <laughs> you should have brought him on. That's kind of like when my wife says, you're still doing the podcast? And she like opens the door and, and this is what you see on the video. It's like me going, and she's like, we got to go. <laughs> I have these doorknob things on here to prevent small children from being able to open them. He just like sticks his fingers around them. <laughs> you gotta love Which him, is man. hilarious. You gotta as, love as him. As soon as you videotape that and send it to the manufacturers, I'd be like, you maybe need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. When, when we were, when, when we still had young children, um, the house was completely, completely childproof safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only problem was none of the adults could open anything except <laughs> the kids. They're like, no, Dad, you just have to go in and put this, and it goes down. <laughs> this is adult proof, so yeah. But <laughs> okay, thank right. you so much for having me. This was a delight. Yes. We're gonna drop really this on Monday, uh, actually on Tuesday at five a.m. So. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. Tag me and I'll share it. We'll do. We'll do. Okay. <laughs> Again, Thank you. We we got to do this when we do the the Catholic Youth Conference. I'll bring my stuff. <laughs> I agree to that. Yes, I'll be fine. <laughs> okay. I God love this. You. What a great morning. God bless. God bless. Bye. Bye bye. This connected podcast is brought to you by the Cabin. Want to get away and get some peace and quiet and rest? Yes, rest, but not too far away from home or the city? Want to experience a true log cabin feel in the mountains? Well, I have the recommendation for you. The cabin is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath that will do just that. With a beautiful wood fireplace lit and a glass of wine, you are sure to relax. With easy access from the main highway, private parking, easy access with stairs to the entrance, fast Wi-Fi, a full-size kitchen, and all the essential amenities will make your stay a memorable experience. This cozy log cabin was built in the early 60s with its original wood fireplace and a newly transformed deck with beautiful views of the San Bernardino Mountains. So, book your stay at the cabin in Running Springs, California. The cabin, located in the San Bernardino Mountains, is a beautiful place to see the beauty of God's creation. I have known the proprietor of the cabin for many years. She has always supported the youth and young adult ministries of her community, as well as this podcast. Check out The Cabin on Instagram at thecabin2021. Again, that's at thecabin2021, T-H-E-C-A-B-I-N 2021.